0: Hello, I'm Maeve Doyle and you're listening to A Private View. On today's show, I have photographer Andy Gotts ahead of his exhibition at Maddox Gallery. It's called Icons. It opens on the 2nd of September and runs until the 19th of September. It's one of those shows that everyone's been talking about. Um, And there's a reason why. Andy is unique in his vision and his ability with the camera and most certainly unique with his contacts. He... uh, photographs celebrities and that sounds very normal to us in this Instagram age but when Andy started doing it 30 years ago with a Mamiya camera it was another world it was a world prior to email it was a world prior to digital photography and it was a world before Instagram so I'm very honored excited and
1: uh, happy to welcome Andy Gotts to a private view hello Good afternoon. How are you? I'm very well. I'm very excited. This is my first interview properly for the exhibition, so I'm very, very thrilled.
0: Uh, Well, I'm thrilled to have you here. Now, how did you like my introduction about who you are and what you do? And and how would you update
1: that? Uh, um, I guess when people talk about me and 30 years and my career and people are photographed, um, to me, it sounds like somebody else because I am a fan of movies, a fan of photography, and when I think of some names are photographed, it's almost like it's somebody else's life I'm hearing. It's, it's like someone else's story that I'm seeing. I don't see it as... Um, I'm not one of these photographers, and there are many out there who kind of caught... The red carpets, and they and they they see themselves as a, as a celebrity in their own right. Um, I, I'm kind of the opposite. I see photography as a lovely hobby, and it's and I'm getting to meet my iconic uh, people from movies. That I'm a I'm a massive movie fan. That's what I am. I'm a movie fan that happens to be a photographer, basically.
0: And it started with a chance encounter with Stephen Fry. Is that myth or is that real?
1: No, Stephen Fry, God bless him and all that sails in him. Um, He is such a lovely human being. And I was a student in Norfolk. I was born and raised in Norfolk and very proud to be from there. And I was doing a course in photography. It was a two year course. A year one you do all photography fashion, fine art, landscapes, year two, I have to have one discipline for the entire year. I had no idea there was nothing that leapt out of the page that I wanted to do for an entire year and so I was on the fence, I was thinking is this the career for me and at that precise moment in time Stephen Fry came to my college to give out some diplomas he was a he's local he's from Norfolk and he used to give out some diplomas and give a talk on AIDS awareness and I found out the room he'd be in so the room next door I set up a camera and a tripod and a flash and I went to his Q&A and put my hand up and I said Mr Fry um, can I photograph you next door please he was kind of taken aback, he rolled his eyes and said, oh, will you be quick? I said, I promise I'll be quick. And we went next door, uh, he gave me 90 seconds, I took 10 photographs, that changed my life. Um, it's that eureka moment, all of a sudden, that thunderbolt hit me, um, having someone famous, and, that, and if you think way back in 1990, there were only four TV stations, there was no cable, there was no sky, and Stephen was doing three prime-time shows every week. He was doing Blackadder, Jeeves and Worcester, Fry and Laurie. He was a megastar. And having a megastar ask about for you for, you know, 90 seconds, it was this, there uh, I say, power trip. It was something, but it, it was unique and magical. And that started me in my career. Yeah, it sounds like it gave your ambition
0: purpose. Absolutely. And, and so after Stephen Fry... You're still in school, kind of trying to develop your craft, perfect your craft, Mm. learn your craft. How do we go from Stephen Fry to finishing art school? It
1: still sticks with Stephen Fry. Stephen Fry has been a staple in my life for 30 years. So um, Stephen has a broken nose, and he hates being photographed, loathes it. But one of these shots, one of these 10 shots, he adored. And he said, darling boy, will you do me a 10 by 8 Which I did. He took it home to Norfolk, uh, to South Wooten, where he, where he used to live, framed it, popped it on his mantelpiece. His best mate came home for Sunday lunch, that's Kenneth Branner, saw the picture and asked Stephen, Who took this picture? I think they were filming Stephen, um, Peter's friends at the time. And Stephen said, uh, a, a local student. And he said, Do have a phone number? So Kenneth, uh, so Stephen gave Kenneth my Diggs phone number, and he was at the top of his career at the time too, Kenneth Branagh. Yeah, and and he, ph- and he, ph- he phoned me up at at, at, at my Diggs and he said, "Well, do you mind coming to to to, to Highgate and photographing uh, me and my wife Emma Thompson?" And I said, "Absolutely, I'd be delighted to." So we we, we did you pinch yourself? Well, I, I mean, did
0: you say, "Is this a crank call?" Well,
1: I, I mean, a voice with Kenneth, so you can't really. Uh, you know, not know it's him, and and so we we kind of s- swapped details, swapped numbers, and and he said, well, can you be here next m- mid next week, w- w- which which we did, and I'd never driven to London before. How so, old were you at the time?
0: Nineteen. Oh my
1: goodness, that's amazing. And so I drove to London, uh, and and then his narrow streets. Uh, I, I, I parked at, in this random driveway but I didn't know, but, but there's nowhere to park and I was panicking. So I just parked in this driveway. So I started unloading my equipment and the door opened. Yes, you, what are you doing? What, what, what do you want? And I said, oh, I'm so sorry. I'm just parking my car I'm here to photograph Kenneth Branner. And it happened to be the actor Derek Jacobi. I was parked in here. In, 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 You're kidding I was, I was Of par-
0: course, they all live together. They all live on the same road. It's like the Primrose Hill set. Mm-hmm. Once you get one
1: of them, you get them all. And and he said to me, I don't mind you parking in my driveway as long as I can have a headshot. And 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 so he came down with me to Kenneth's house. And, and we had this, this group of headshots. And then um, everyone was having a laugh how this happened. And and Derek said, at the time, you know, Jacoby was doing Catfile and, and all his wonderful... Um, Wonderful TV programs, and uh, he 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 was fresh out out of doing um, I I Claudius, and he said, "No, is there any actor that you you know would like me to you know hook you in with? I've just done a uh, TV thing with Bob Hoskins. Are you interested?" And I said, "Of course!" And and literally, my career has been that, and my first book, Degrees, was based on that. It's based on Who Knows Who. That's what that's where the idea came from so, 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 so to answer your question in a, in a roundabout long winded way Stephen Fry has been my hook in the door for 30 years he can st- he still continues to help even even yesterday he emailed me asking how life is and he, he's been a wonderful guy and he's, he's, he's big in Soho and uh, speaks to really good values of, yeah. of principles and
0: loyalty and um, well as Helena Wick, your artist liaison would say, friendship groups.
1: Yeah. I'll, I'll helping I'll...
0: each other out. And those values mean something in you know, a in a real world. And I think they're trying to translate it to an online world. So it's it's a terrific testament to what I moved to Britain for, that mm-hmm. sense of community and a community that takes care of each other.
1: I think it's also because The way I shoot, it's just me and a camera. I have no assistants. I have nothing. It's just just me lumbering my equipment around. And I think it's refreshing for people. I think some of these actors I've shot over the years are so used to having crews of people around, having massive uh, entourages and uh, uh, and teams of stylists and, and pamperers and hair and makeup. And when it's just Andy and the camera, it's literally a light relief. And I think they feel it's their obligation to help this bumbling photographer do something nice uh, with his life. So, so I think it's, it's just a team spirit uh, because they all know each other and they all know that I, I uh, try to... Actually, Ian McKellen says something lovely. He said th- it, this little thing the other day that Andy Gotts wants the best for you. He wants the best for everyone. He might not He might not make you look your best, but he tries his best to make you look good. And I think that it's, I, I don't try to make people look anything more than they are. I don't try to glamorize them. I try to make them look like them. And that's thats the key to my... That's why your photography is quite
0: different and yeah. distinctive and stands out. Mm. Um, and, and I wanted to talk about that because you're uh, quite adamant about not retouching mm. photos.
1: Yeah, uh, I think it's because um, a few years ago uh, there was... Big uh, issues with the way people looked in ad campaigns. You had some actresses who were, let's say, the other side of fifty, um, promoting uh, skin uh, care and skin uh, products, and the images had been retouched. Uh, and, and so, well, what's the point in having a, a famous person if you can retouch the pictures, but you can't see the use of the product? And as back then, I was thinking, actually, faces are beautiful faces uh, are unique and they're glorious and I would want to capture a portrait of that person not an idealistic version not a fantasy fair front cover this is what ideally they would look like I want to photograph them as they are so this includes wrinkles crow's feet pimples. It's, it's a beauty of the face. Well, because what you're going up against is
0: the beauty of capitalism and mm. materialism and consumerism. <laughs> and you're almost making a political statement, in a sense. I mean, you're not doing ad campaigns for
1: for Vogue. Well, no. It's, I mean, I, I can see um, art directors from glossy magazines sitting down thinking Do we want someone to look flawless on our cover so, so people can buy into this lifestyle. Uh, and, and obviously they have a huge market and there's, there's a huge fan base for that kind of uh, imagery. Um, I'm just trying to show that these people, they are humans, they have flaws, they are, they, are, they are not 24-7 glossy. And I'm trying to capture them as human beings, not them as a character. It's like um, George Clooney. I'm not trying to shoot George Clooney as Danny Ocean. I'm shooting George Clooney as the George Clooney that wakes up in the morning, puts on his pants, brushes his teeth, have a coffee. That is George Clooney. Not someone who pretends to scam to, to, uh, a, a scammy casino. Uh, that's not who I'm trying to photograph. So th- I think that's the difference.
0: In a sense, I see your photographs a bit like Vermeer's paintings. Oh, no, that's very kind. I mean, you let the... Uh, I don't want to use the word grotesque because that's also a construct. But But you let... You let the character of the person come through in the nooks and crannies, which is what you were saying before. Yeah. And and I say that to 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 lead into another question, which is what artists and photographers inspire
1: you? Yeah, I'd say for different reasons. I'd say visually, aesthetically, Caravaggio is massive. I can massive.
0: see that. I can uh, see that. That's why I mentioned Vermeer.
1: Yeah, yeah. I mean, Caravaggio, I mean, th- there's something... More storytelling about his work. The the, the I mean, especially his uh, religious uh, paintings. I mean, there's there's the storytelling in the shadows. The, the, there's something hidden there, which I really love. So that so there's that part of artists inspire me. But, all but also with Caravaggio. Sorry, I know I interjected,
0: and because I've talked about this with your work before. He was painting aristocracy and and heads of churches and. Um, popes mm. people who were important to society at the time the cultural shift of the time you're in is nobody paints popes and arist- aristocrats anymore yeah. everything is about pop stars celebrities
1: yeah uh, i mean i mean uh, the yeah. parallel is quite obvious once you say it yeah. i can see it yeah i mean but it also goes back to the question you asked about editing and post production and photoshop etc if you think back to way back when there was only painting and people would commission miniatures to be painted of their loved ones and, and, and their friends and family, the artist wouldn't do exactly what they looked like. They'd make, you know, a a good version of the lover, a good version of their family because who's going to buy a rubbish picture of their lover? They want, want them to look glamorous and sexy. So So that was where... Kind of pre-photoshop, the first editing happened. It was making somebody more glamorous than they were.
0: and also making things that are private, public exactly. And what you take out of the intimacy and privacy of a one-on-one sitting by airbrushing it and removing everything that's
1: personal. exactly. so 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 um, so aesthetically, as a Caravaggio, but as an on an artistic level, as a human being, Lowry, I think his mentality his his a uh, passion of self belief when he came down to london and 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 the, the galleries galleries are saying actually your works too naive it's it's too childish it will never sell you need to change something and he said, I'm not going to change. I'm, this is my work and I'm going to stay this, photog- this, this, this painter. And I think I've been told so many times, you know, if you want to make a name for yourself, you need to conform into the more glamorous looking uh, of photography, make people look nicer. And my answer is, the as Larry's, actually, I photograph for me Larry painted for him it, it, it it's it's the same mentality I'm I'm doing it to keep me happy and it's a and, quite interesting par- comparison for two
0: reasons he was a bit of an outsider wasn't he Absolutely and also Timothy Spall played the character in the movie and mm. I know you've worked with Timothy Spall
1: Yeah I mean uh, Tim is lovely and uh, I mean he's played Turner and he's played Larry um and there's something when any actor portrays a living person or someone who has lived, how they have to get into character is I see the parallel when they come to a photo shoot and they almost have to become a character to be photographed. They can't accept the fact. And I had this lovely conversation with Anthony Hopkins. Uh, was that There's a couple of questions that always bugged me about actors and photographing them. And it was firstly, why do actors, whenever I ask them to be photographed, the opening gambit is, I hate being photographed. Is the op- everyone's opening line, I hate being photographed. So I want to know why uh, that's the case. And he said, Andy, there are two reasons, two obvious reasons. He said, actors are actors because we don't like being ourselves. We like being characters. We like being. We like. We like. Um, being submerged into something we're all insecure we 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 don't like something about us and we want to get hold of something else and be someone else and i can understand that and he said the most obvious 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 thing why actors hate being photographed he said "We, we spend our life being told don't look down the camera lens and now you're asking me to look down the camera lens he said that's alien he said, he said my job is to avoid eye contact with the camera doing films it, it, it's to avoid it and now you're saying to me look down the barrel and he said I can't do it it's, it's so- counterintuitive he, he said it's so alien and, and, and I found, find that so interesting and so when an actor comes to be photographed by me I can see them adopting a character to, 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 so they're the, the more, more comfortable to be photographed. And it's my job to stop that. Because otherwise, my pitch will look like any other portrait of the actor because it's their go to face, their go to mood. So I need to get that nipped in the bud straight away and make them not look like that. And that's... It's amazing.
0: Cuter. I mean, I've spent some time looking at your work in preparation for this interview and uh, not enough time because my observation with you is the more you look into what you do the more that's uncovered so Mm -hmm. uh, I found David Lynch uh, Lauren Bacall Andrew Scott Helena Bonham Carter Dolly Parton Tim Roth Julianne Moore Jodie Foster Adam Ant I saw the best photographs I've ever seen of Dustin Hoffman Mm -hmm. Hoffman playing with a white shirt and I was it, it was sculptural in a way that blew my mind, to be quite frank. He he looked so good playing with that shirt. And I don't know how I knew it was him, but I did. Just with the nose peeking yeah. through. Then there was Penelope Cruz, Danny DeVito. There was some wild situation with Sharon Stone, where she was flirting with the camera. Dita Von Teese, Juliette yeah. Binoche. A lot of what I saw was also people who sort of... Um, their stars rose and fell.
1: Yeah, yeah. I mean, uh, what I love is when I have the pleasure to spend time with, with someone like Lauren Bacall, whose face shows a life well lived. Um, and and what's so lovely is um, we spoke for ages, but but my photo shoots are really quick and snappy. And uh, but I I I can, if I am allowed to, spend a long while beforehand. This chatting and hanging out and then afterwards chatting and hanging out and uh, the photo shoot is just a little little vignette in the middle. And and what's lovely about Lauren is she had that New York bad tempered broad attitude that just from every pore of her just came out. And she was talking about bogey and talking about Catherine Hepburn and talking about her life and the love she's had and lost and, and the movie parts she wished she'd had. And it, it was a lovely. And, but she was moody and it was glorious. And um, when we started doing the pictures, I always do lighting tests first where it's just so I can make sure the exposure is correct and make sure everything's falling into place. So i done three or four lighting tests and then we started doing the portraits and what's so interesting is when I looked at the lighting tests where she wasn't smiling, wasn't trying to be anything, she's just being herself, that was Lauren Bacall. And I can could, I could look at this picture and see that's the person that I was talking to on her, on her sofa. Not the happy, smiley, glamorous lady in the mid-80s. It was this... Cantankerous, moody. Yeah, she was. And but and, and what was lovely, Um, I say lovely, it was... Um, she lived in the Dakota building, and uh, photography is banned there because of John Lennon's death on the on the on the doorsteps. So I had to UPS in my parcel of, of camera equipment because cameras are are, are not allowed. you're scanned when you go in, and so so I sent in my sent in my, my my cameras as as luggage. Then I went in as a guest. I had to seal the windows and doors with with the masking tape so no one could see any flashes going off. She um, had had a hip operation and she went in and she caught MRSA in hospital and she got really poorly. And then she was in hospital for a long while. Then she came out of hospital, then tripped over her dog and ruined her other hip. And she saw that as a sign. And she then condemned herself to live in this one room in the Dakota building and not leave. So she lived in this one room uh for the for the rest of her days. And Interesting. It, and it's just one superstition. And and, and and there's one in the back corner is like a throne. And that's where she sat, uh, to entertain uh, people who come to see her on this uh, throne. On one side of this throne was a tree of cigarettes that she chain smoked, and the other side was a big jar of of pistachio nuts. And she was there holding court, chain smoking, eating nuts telling you the stories of her life. and, it, and Who and, referred you to her? Who was the referral on uh, that uh, one? How did you get her? Th- th- there's a few people in my life I wanted and I pursued. And, she, and, and, you and, 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 and she's the one I, I actually pursued to photograph her because th- 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 there's something, Whatever she's interviewed on TV shows or the Johnny Carson show or whatever, there's something about her attitude I like. I like the fact that uh, her and um, Olivia de Havilland who who were anti-studio, um, anti-being-told-what-to-do in, in in a world where women were told you had to be this way. And these strong ladies were opposed to it. Yeah. And I wanted to meet these people and I wanted to just say, well done and good for you. Good for you. Yeah. They were anti-objectification. Mm-hmm. certainly, and, and I loved it.
0: I loved it. I loved those photos as well. There's another uh, rebel who was mistreated, that you photographed someone who, who moved me in many ways when I was younger and continues to move me and inspire me. And that's Quentin
1: Crisp. Oh, yes. How did that come about? Again, he's one of these people that I pursued. And uh, um, he has been this figure that, that I knew his literature and I knew his, his, uh, the paintings of him and I knew his persona. And there's something so interesting about him. Do people still know his story, do you think? I think he's one of these people who... I think he will be one of the, the characters that will lose. Will lose. I, I
0: heard. So wait, basically, if, if anyone's listening and they don't know Quentin Crisp, he was an English writer, raconteur actor. Uh, but he also experimented with different dressing styles and and adapted women's styles into makeup hair, into his dressing, and he suffered greatly for it. Uh, He worked his way to New York, where he lived in a way similar to what you described Lauren Bacall lived. And he... Yeah, I mean, you got
1: a great photo of him. it was literally in the seventies. He, he inspired uh, uh, a, uh,
0: the naked civil
1: servant. Yeah, uh, but uh, he, he was thrown out of the UK. He, he didn't. He didn't choose to leave. Oh, I didn't know uh, that. Yeah, yeah. Oh, yeah but, but because of, of uh, his uh, sexuality, and, and it was illegal, and, and it was like you know, either you leave the country uh, to, to to find what what you're looking for, otherwise you need to c- curtail everything you do in your life and he and he's he's chose to go to america Uh, what i loved about our meeting was he he said to me but i wrote to him he'd only do anything by handwritten letter that's all he would do and letters between here and new york is like a five-day transit back and forth so if you're lucky yeah i mean i mean um email was a a distant thing in the future um and i i wrote to him and said mr crisp it'd be delightful if you could just spare me some time and he wrote back saying Mr. Gotts I'm in the Manhattan phone book if ever you feel yourself to come to New York phone me up and I'll be happy to give you some time and so I literally as soon as I got that letter I booked the flight literally that day and I went over to Manhattan and I phoned him up I said Mr. Crisp I'm in New York he said he said, Mr. Gotts, there is a restaurant called the Cooper Square Restaurant in the Lower East Side of Manhattan. I'll meet you there. I have a table. He, he said, can you be there Wednesday at 2 o'clock? I said, absolutely. And I was staying near Broadway in a very cheap hotel because I was I was literally just out of college and I couldn't really afford, I could barely afford a flight later than anything else. As so I was staying in, in this quite... quite two-star hotel uh, just off Broadway, and I got a cab, and it was one of my first trips to America. I got a yellow cab, and, that, and that, it's, it's like the dream, a yellow cab, went went to the Lower East Side of Manhattan. The cab pulled outside this the, the Cooper Square restaurant, and I could see a silhouette of a figure in a cowboy hat in the window. I thought, that has to be Quentin Crisp and and then i opened the cab door got out and and there he was in his full length black velvet coat glorious c- cowboy hat D- diamante brooches and he sat there makeup m- uh, uh, a mascara a lipstick uh, a blusher and he sat there uh with an, with an empty table in front of him almost like he was waiting like like, like it ordered uh, but he but he hadn't he was just waiting for me and and we sat down he says, "Mister Cox, do you want to order a whiskey? I'm a bit, a bit dry." I said, "Quentin, whatever you'd like." And he started telling me a story about, about uh, the story about uh, his relationship with the UK, and and about the punk movement in the seventies, and 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 about his move to, uh, to to New York. And during our conversation, every single person that walked past the our table said, "Hi, Quentin." And there were some people in their 70s, there were some punk girls in their teens, everyone knew him. He was like this local hero. And then he said, do you mind if I eat? And I if he said, uh, so he ordered some potatoes and some eggs. And no photographs had no been photographs. taken yet. Two more whiskies had, 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 had flown he by. He was sizing you up. Yeah, and and, 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 and we had this lovely conversation. And and then and then he was saying about my, my photography and why I do photography, and I was saying but I want to meet interesting people, and he said, Mister Gotts, I want to meet everybody in the world, and I'm not doing too bad lately, and 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 that kind of that kind of stuck in my head, and then I said to him, you know do you mind, the light's going, I need to do natural daylight because I've got any, any equipment with me. Can we, he, he said, I've spoken, spoken to the manager and we can have a side room with a white wall. I said, perfect. So he went there, we'd done these pictures and he was being glorious. Uh, and, it, it, and he said, was, he used to be a, uh, an artist model. So, so he knew all the poses. He knew, knew had to, to be flamboyant or not flamboyant, be graceful or cheeky. He knew everything. And then we'd done this whole thing, and um, he said, Mr. Gotts, do you mind if you, if you call me a cab? But can I have one more whiskey first? <laughs> and, 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 and the conversation continued. Of course. And then he got up, he got a napkin, he wrote this thing on a napkin, folded it in half and put it in my pocket, and he gave me a kiss on the cheek and left. Okay. And then at, this, that, moment, at that moment, the witch has come over with the bill. And he handed me the bill. And she said to me, uh, he does this to every interviewer, to everyone. Uh, he, how much was the bill? It uh, Come to over $100. Uh, 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 but, but literally, as Quentin didn't really have an income, he used to feed and drink through kindnesses of interviewers. That's how he, uh, that's how he ate and drank. Now,
0: this led... I, I know, I know. It was amazing. But, that but, uh, charm. But can I just say, yes. uh,
1: what was on the note you put in my pocket... Oh please! He put in there, "Thank you for making me immortal." And 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 that and I've I've got that I've got that framed at home. Well, that's poetry. And and and, and, I, and it's little things like that that have happened in my career. Little things not during the photo shoot either, but before or after. And I didn't find that note till I was back at the hotel. And I, I said, and I think actually, yeah, I mean that kind of sums up. But but, but what was fantastic is during the conversation I had with Quentin. He said, I said to him, would you ever return to the UK? And he said, no, darling. He said, my home is New York. I'll, I'll never go back. And so when I returned to the UK with the wheels with the of film to make contact sheets, um, I thought, well, do I need to go via his publicist or, his, or, or a publisher rather than him? Because, uh, so I, I, I phoned up his, his publisher. Uh, Harper Collins, and I said, no, what do you want me to do? Do you, do you want me to send you these contact sheets or t- to Quentin? He said, actually, keep hold of them. Quentin's, Quentin's coming back to London. To, uh, he said, I booked him to do a one-man show. I, said, but I thought, he's not coming back. And he said, no, no, no I've talked him into it to come back. And um, Quentin came back. What was the show called? It's, it, the, the, this is the sad part. The stress of the flight made Quentin ill, and he died in London. Uh, before the show, uh, and 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 he died. He, he, he died in the UK. Something there's something bone chilling about that, isn't there? So if he'd stuck to his guns, and not to come back to the UK, who knows? Was it the stress of the flight? Was it the stress of, or was it just his time? Who knows? I'm going to take the conversation
0: in a different direction because I think we need a series of interviews about (laughs) your insights into the wonderful artists who've created cultural history in Mm -hmm. London and in North America, many of whom you've photographed so well. But I'm going to go back to the purpose of art and the purpose of photography Mm -hmm. and ask you what is the reason for art and specifically what's the reason for photography? Throwing in a sideline... If the celebrities
1: weren't in your photography,
0: what would you be taking pictures of?
1: I wouldn't. I, I mean, uh, I'm a photographer because of the subject matter, and I think that's the same as painting. Painters paint because they want to paint. Um, um, there are people like um, let's throw a name out there, like an an obvious name, like, um, let's say Picasso. You know, people can look at Picasso and say. As a painter, for a normal man in the street who likes to say photography, looking at a Picasso, very cubist, very faces with 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 you know two eyes on the same side of the face, is that aesthetic for a a person who likes photography, or I, th- I and it's like Dali, Dali painted for. for for dali and and i think painters paint because they want what's inside them to be outside i think they are directors they are people who have stories to tell who don't have the language for writing don't have the vision for making movies i think there's a story in them to tell and they tell it through the medium they can it's like so you're a documentary filmmaker i I, i'm also
0: a painter that can't paint Uh, so what is the reason for art then is it as you say to help people find their way through life help Um, the individual the artist yeah but but
1: i i think art generally is 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 a selfish thing it it, it's something that people it's something inside they have to get out it's something. Whether why the, is that selfish? Is that not sharing? You can look at it two ways. It's an artist wants to put out there what's in their head. Maybe it's because they want to share what's in there. Maybe they have. I know there's some artists who were, you know, almost possessed by evil thoughts, and they had to get them out on the page. Like 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 Blake, for example, had to get stuff out. Uh, of his head as a therapy yeah and, and I, I don't think that comes across but also I think there's the entertainment value I think there are artists that feel th- um, they want to get out of their self a something to entertain others and with some painters that they just want to get, to get it out um, because it's like it's, it's like a journal it's like um you some people journal what they do in the day some people journal their thoughts and their upsets and their dreams and their ambitions and are the artists that is their way of getting what's in their head out and i'm pretty sure there are some epic paintings by the most famous painters in the world that people haven't seen it's just stuff they've done to get out of their head uh, tell me Mm-hmm. And I, I like what you're saying.
0: I think it also connects them. But you're saying you use it to cope with mental states or to understand yourself or self-discovery or self-actualization. Is it is it a way of mapping your way through life?
1: I think so. And also an inner frustration. I think that's the thing. Mm, I, I, I think, interesting. I, I, I think uh, personally, for, for, I mean, I am a frustrated actor. I'm someone I wish I could act. I really do. And the nearest I'll ever get to Hollywood is photographing people in Hollywood. Uh, and, and I think that's, that is what I call as selfish. So, so I am doing my job because I can't do what I want to do.
0: So you're living vicariously behind the camera, mm. which most of the best photographers do. Now, until four years ago, you used the Mamiya mm. RB67. Yeah. What are you shooting on
1: now? I still try and use that at at shoots. I also take along a it's called a phase one camera. Now, phase one was launched in the digital era and uh I was doing only film for years, up until I shot Al Pacino and I was told by his people Al will only do a shoot if he can see what you're shooting at the time. And I said, Well, I'll only Polaroids. He said, No, no, no. Uh he wants the actual shots of what you're doing. You'll have to do it digitally. And and so I had to for that shoot buy a digital camera. And then it progressed that 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 was the day my camera bag expanded, I guess. So, so that would have been what,
0: what's the digital camera called?
1: Phase one. And you're still using it? I, I, I use both. Uh, um, so at a, at a photo shoot, I use a phase one and film camera at the same time with Mimir. Um, but the, But the phase one, um, they, for a film camera, phase one made a back to put on the film camera to do digital. They now make the entire camera body. Um, but, but it's, uh, I don't like digital. I don't like people's impatientness. I don't like the fact they don't want to wait a week to see a photograph anymore. Well, that was the alchemy, wasn't it? The magic. Because I can remember. I'll, I'll give an example. Paul Newman. I had to fly over to Connecticut. I shot Paul Newman. Now, for him to see the shot, he had to wait for me to fly back to the UK to develop, to process, to post back... Uh, so it would be at least 10 days.
0: Yeah. Well, uh, we're in Soho where all the studios were the, where you'd pick up your film. Mm-hmm.
1: Exactly. And, 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 and people nowadays don't want to wait 10 minutes. 10 seconds. Mm-hmm. Uh, I'd say I'm on a cusp and there aren't many people like me on the cusp. Um, there were um, analog photographers that were pre-digital. There are now digital photographers that only do digital And I think I'm right slap bang in the middle where I'm an analog photographer who is being forced to do digital because of the emergency of it. The the people, because of the Instagram culture, because of um, everyone with a phone now is a photographer. Everyone with a phone camera can now do filters and liquefy and skin smoothing. and Yeah, like uh, the David Hockney iPad show it. Absolutely, yeah, at, yeah. At, uh, on, on the Piccadilly. Um, but but everyone now well, has access to 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 be a photographer. It, it, it's not a a uh, a career that only rich people done because they could only afford fancy cameras and lots of film. Uh, now anyone can. But I, I, and because I managed to capture um, a certain demographic of famous people who were, you know the latter part of their career, who have now all passed. So, so I've captured a whole generation of actors who have, now, who have now died. And so I position myself between the swinging 60s, the Baileys, the Donovans, the Duffys, the Snowdens, the mm. Claridges, and in between that and the Rankins, the Jason Bells, the, the, the Nigel Parrys, I see myself before Rankin even though me and Rankin started I think the same year I I think we both started in the the 1990s I think Um, but but I see he has manoeuvred his career digitally uh, where I'm still digging my heels in I'm still gripping with my fingernails on the table you're not going to pull me off this film I'm still going to as long as Kodak makes the film, I'm going to use it. Uh, so think that's where I am. I'm, I'm in between analogue and digital. I'm slap bang in the middle. It's okay. It's okay. I think this show at Maddox Gallery is going to
0: reinvigorate yeah. oh. the interest in work before digital. Now I'm going to ask you one more question because we're running out of time, which is insane to me. Mm-hmm. I think seriously we have to have a Andy Gott series. Mm-hmm. Uh, if you could own one work of art past or present, don't think of money, uh, what would it be and why? Any piece of art.
1: Um, okay. I quite like uh, Turner's, uh, t- t- um, the, the t- t- Temeraire that uh, he done, which was which this, this, this glorious warship that's being tugged away uh, to a scrap heap. And and, and and I, I like that. I, I I like the fact that it's documenting not this glorious warship. It's it, it it's documenting its its decline. It's being tugged off by a little tugboat to be scrapped. And I like that. I like I like the fact that it's kind of me. It's I'm not there glamorising famous people. I'm there it's the aftermath of the glam, it's the tr- truth, the reality, the honesty, it's the bit people don't see. So I see this mighty Tamarera being tugged off as, it was a mighty boat, these are famous people, but these this boat's being tugged off to be scrapped, and my, my pictures are, It's it's not glam, it's not gloriousness, it's people being honest, being true and true faces. And that's why at the Maddox Gallery, um, you're seeing pictures of these most famous people in the world and you're in ways you will never ever see them again. Andy Gotts,
0: thank you so much for your time. It's been a pleasure to meet you and to listen to your stories. If you're interested in seeing Andy's work, it will be at Maddox Gallery on Westbourne Grove from the 2nd of September until the 19th. There's incredible pieces that you could buy within the edition as well if you'd like to take something home and think about Andy's values and his dedication to a real aesthetic in a world full of trickery. Thank you for listening to A Private View. We'll be back next week. Bye for now. Thank you for listening to A Private View with me, Maeve Doyle. I have over 30 years experience in several different countries. In the art world and i'm still learning the changing landscape and lexicon and look of what is and isn't the art world and what artists do and don't want to express so i hope you enjoy taking this journey with me and listening to artists talk in their own voice on a private view the podcast if you enjoy listening please subscribe to the podcast And on a separate note, the music for A Private View was made specially by Koresh Halmi. He has a show on Soho Radio too, so look him up. And thank you for listening.